you find yourself struggling to pick your bike up only afterwards wishing that you had something lighter weight, more manageable? Well, today's episode may cure it for you and it may leave change in your pocket. We're going to talk about converting a street bike to the ultimate adventure bike. I'm Jim Martin. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA. And get this, it has a lifetime warranty. It's the same pump that we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Terry Borden. I'm Sandy Borden. I'm Jack Borden. I'm Graham Field. My name is Austin Vince. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. Hi, I'm David Peterson. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here's Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Russ. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant John. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workman. This is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Today we're going to talk about Rally Raid products, and in particular, one kit they have out to transform the Honda CB500X into an adventure bike. Now, the Honda CB500X is a liquid-cooled parallel twin, 471cc engine. They market it as a 500. It's got fuel injection, four valves per cylinder, and a six-speed transmission. Now, they do have it on their website as an adventure bike, but really, it's just the adventure moniker. You can look at it, and it's sort of like saying a a V-Strom is an adventure bike. It is to some degree, but not in the traditional sense that we think of when we think of adventure motorcycles. Now, one of the big things that makes the Honda CB500X, in my mind, really important to us is that it's a middleweight adventure bike. You know, if you don't want the dual sport bike and you you don't want the great big 1200, you want a middleweight thing, something that's easy to handle, nimble on the trail, yet can still get on the highway and do some mileage. This is the bike. Well, not really. It, this is the bike after you put the Rally Raid kit on. But this is the bike that can be at least transformed into, well, possibly your ultimate adventure bike. Now, wait a second. You could say from the outset here, hang on, we could take any bike and transform it into an adventure bike if we start changing suspension components. Well, in part, that's true. But some designs lend themselves better to the adventure bike style than others. For instance, the V-Strom is probably less suitable than this bike in particular. Uh, This bike has a nice seat height, it's got a nice upright position, and it handles well. And you're going to hear in this interview how it was decided that Rally Raid would, would go after this bike. And this bike wasn't necessarily the first one they were looking at but in the end it does turn out to be a really nice package and I haven't ridden one myself but from everything I've read and everything that I've heard from the people that I spoke with through these interviews this is one impressive machine when they're done and because we are in North America we're going to start right here with Harold Cecil from Giant Loop Giant Loop is the North American distributor for Rally Raid products Harold welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio hey thanks so much for having you on the show so, Harold, to begin with, how did you get involved with Rally Raid products? When did they first show up to you? 
Well, you know, it really goes back to the end of 2014 when we were contacted by Jenny Morgan, who works uh, with Rally Raid in the UK. We had worked with Jenny to use some of her photography from the Tuareg rally. So she contacted us to ask about ideas for a distributor here in North America. And I told her, well, I'd think about it and get back to her with some ideas. And uh, after I got off the Skype with her, I started thinking, well, why not Giant Loop? And, uh, you know, we're all set up here, obviously, to be taking orders and shipping product around the world every day. So the project just seemed like a, a perfect fit as well with our, uh, you know, go light, go fast, go far philosophy to motorcycle travel and, and packing. So, yeah, things sort of started with just conversations. And, you know, a year and a half later now, we're, uh, we're selling these kits and parts faster than they, they can be made at the moment. I know. I think that's amazing. And that's literal. You really cannot keep these things on the shelf. Yeah. The, every time we try to order in parts and put them on the shelf for stock, they are essentially being sold faster than we're getting them in. And there's been a lot of excitement and, and interest uh, around this bike because I, I think it does, as you suggest, it fills a, a niche and fills kind of a, a gap in the, the marketplace in, in terms of, you know, especially the, the twin cylinder adventure bikes. There really aren't many options between a, a large displacement single cylinder bike and then the 1,000cc class at adventure bikes. That's partly what made us interested in the project. Did the Honda CB500X show up on your radar as something interesting before all of this? You know, honestly, I hadn't paid any attention to that bike uh, until we started talking to Rally Raid about it. it. It's a bit of a sleeper. You don't see it a lot here in the U.S. Um, Honda actually doesn't seem to actively promote it very much. They, they seem to uh, promote the F and the R models uh, more aggressively. And so I honestly wasn't exactly sure fully what to expect. And I've got to say, I've just been super surprised by and impressed with, with this bike since the day we got it and started riding it as a stock bike, really. Well, I mean, I get the Honda quality thing, right? I mean, Honda has that reputation for, for having bikes that are, you know, they, they just keep going. This one here seems to, at least, well, it did at least to Jenny, and, and we've talked with Jenny for this episode as well, and, and she told us a story about how her friend bought one and got her interested in it. Uh, there's something about it at stock that is somewhat attractive, and you've obviously ridden a stock one before you've modified them. Yeah, we put, I, I think, close to 1,000 miles on our bike in completely bone stock format before we did the rally raid uh, build last spring. And we rode it off-road and, you know, really had fun finding out what it could do and it was it's a really fun bike to ride it's really versatile and and capable you know even as a, a stock machine and it's it's a great value for what that bike costs you know it's a fantastic machine really I guess if you compare it stock to like a like an F800, F700 or something like that, you could say that they're not all a huge difference in price by the time you do the swap over. I mean, it's several thousand dollars. But what you're comparing there is not really apples with apples because this, what I'm understanding here by going through and learning about this, this conversion kit is really what you end up with is a bike with an incredibly advanced suspension system, far more than a stock adventure bike. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, 
you also end up with the lightest twin cylinder adventure touring motorcycle in existence today. And it also has the lowest seat height of any, you know, adventure twin cylinder bike, uh, even after raising the bike two inches with the rally raid kit. It's really appealing, especially when you start taking a, a bike off road that to have a bike that's 50 to 70 pounds lighter than, you know, most of those uh, other bikes in the category. And the shorter wheelbase makes it incredibly nimble. After you've done the suspension work on this bike, it is remarkably capable off-road as, as well. Um, and you give up really nothing on the road side. And, and it was, it's already a really sporty uh, sport touring machine um, to begin with. Looking at videos online of testing the bike with the kit installed, you can see the suspension is very advanced and probably far more than what the average adventure bike comes with stock. Yeah, it's a major upgrade from stock for sure. And it's on par with suspension work that we've paid thousands of dollars to do on, on other machines that we own. Just performs beautifully. And, and in terms of bang for the buck, I don't think there's anything better. And seat height is a common complaint, isn't it? A lot of people complain about not being quite tall enough to feel comfortable standing there with the bike. And if you get into an off-road situation where you got to put your feet down at all or even stab your foot down, it can make it difficult, to say the least. And some people just find it right impossible riding a taller bike. I, I think that the, the, the big bikes do tend to favor riders who are larger in stature. I think that... Uh, you know, that they're better proportioned to people who are sort of six feet tall or greater. And um, that, uh, you know, for those of us that aren't quite six feet tall, and there, there are a lot of us out there, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot more comfortable to be on a bike that uh, with a little bit lower seat height and um, lower center of gravity and, and better centralized mass. You know, the Honda actually even feels much lighter and nimbler beneath you than the, you know, 50 to 70 pounds of weight alone. Uh, you know, so I, I think that it really appeals to a lot of a lot of riders who have been waiting and hoping for a bike that was, uh, you know, a little more manageable off road. And as far as filling the niche, once you have the kit on the CB500X, I can't seem to find anything in the market that you can put up beside it and say, okay, those two can stand side by side as competitors. Well, you know, there honestly isn't anything in that sort of same class and category in terms of the, you know, the twin cylinder bikes. I, I think that the comparisons that we've seen like in the press have been more with the larger single-cylinder bikes like a Kawasaki KLR650, for example. People turn to the KLR because it's also, you know, it's a value bike and and it also has a reputation for being incredibly versatile, sort of the, the Swiss Army knife of adventure bikes. And, and so I, I think that uh, in terms of the current marketplace, that's about as close a comparison or as fair a comparison as anything out there. How about when you're loaded up with gear, with all your, your camping gear, et cetera, and you're off for a ride? How does it feel then? Well, so I had the, the great fortune to spend, uh, you know, several days and thousands of miles on this bike. I, I made a couple really fantastic trips to California last year on it. And it's just been surprising, you know, to me throughout 
that experience that how capable and how much fun it is to ride no matter what we've thrown at it you know it it handles city freeway traffic just fine you can cruise comfortably all day long at, at highway speeds and get phenomenal fuel economy and and not feel like you're beaten up at the end of the day you know riding long days on it i uh, you know, did a 700 plus mile day on the bike, uh, going down to the horizons unlimited event in, uh, uh, Mariposa last year. Um, and then you take the thing off road and it, it just it is incredibly capable. It, it's super efficient at putting traction to the rear wheel, which has enabled me to take that bike places that, um, with the bigger bike, with more horsepower, I would just be spinning the rear wheel and, and losing traction. And, and this thing just sort of tractors up it like a, you know, a little mountain goat. Um, every time that, that we've tried to sort of push it to its limits, it's, it's just really responded, you know, and, uh, it's not a dirt bike, it, uh, you know, it's not a trail bike, but, but man, in terms of a bike that that uh, you know offers an incredible range of, of versatility, and um, I, I think it's pretty tough to beat at the moment. Yeah, of course, and, and no adventure bike is a dirt bike, that's for sure. But compare, for instance, the difference between let's say the stock F eight hundred, which is a pretty good suspension, to this conversion. Well, the the honest comparison there is that there sort of isn't one. I, I uh, you know, the we we've, we've had to invest a considerable amount of money in the the F eight hundred suspension to get it to the point that I, I think it's you know maybe it's about as good as the the Honda with the rally rate kit, um, but you know the rally rate kit. Uh, cost you know far far less than what we've we've invested you know in the 800 to get that suspension so it performs well off road um the rally rate kit also has a lot of nice refinements that uh you know even after upgrading the the f800 suspension i don't have you know the nice remote adjuster like the attractive shock on the rally rate kit or uh, you, you know, quite the same range of adjustability on the forks either. So, you know, this, the stock BMW suspension, there's basically no adjustment on the, the forks. So you, you more or less what you get from the factory, that's what you, uh, get to ride with. And, uh, so yeah, the, um, it, it's really, uh, it, it, it's better than the stock BMW, honestly. Now, if you're in North America and you want to order a kit, you would order it directly through you. Is that how it works? Because I know you're the distributor for North America. Um, yeah, or, uh, you know, Canadian customers are welcome to order directly from Rally Raid, or they can order from us. Uh, currency exchange rate uh, differences have kind of made it a, a little challenging for us to import the parts here to the U.S. and then re-export them to Canada. So. We didn't want that to be a stumbling block to Canadian um, customers and riders, so they, you know, the, they have an option. Uh, and then here in the U.S., we're just working really hard to try and keep up uh, with everybody's questions and interests and uh, get the parts here and turn around as quickly as we can. Well, Harold, it's been great talking to you, and thank you very much. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, great talking to you as usual. Be safe out there and have fun. 
I've been speaking with Harold Cecil from the headquarters of Giant Loop in Bend, Oregon. And if you're interested in finding out more about these Rally Raid products and you're in North America, go to giantloopmoto.com. If you're in Europe or anywhere else in the world, go to www.rally-raidproducts.co.uk. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to speak with Jenny Morgan, who also works with Rally Raid Products and who's ridden the bike, the Rally Raid converted bike, on the Transamerica Trail. That's just coming up in just a second. But before we do that, I want to talk to you for a minute about AeroStitch. That's www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And you know why we put the ARR in there is so they know it's coming from Adventure Rider Radio. But that's not all. It also is going to get you something. It's going to give you 10% discount on your first purchase or if you're an existing customer, free shipping on your next order. That's pretty amazing because like I always say, if you're going to buy a riding suit, 10% is a nice big chunk of money. And besides that, if you're going to buy a riding suit, AeroStitch is the place that you want to look. If you're looking for comfortable, reliable, durable gear, AeroStitch is your place. They've been around for 33 years designing, making, and selling equipment. And you know what's interesting is if you find real hardcore riders, a lot of times the hardcore riders, that's what they're using, AeroStitch gear, because it's a type of thing you can just wear every single day. You don't worry about it lasts. And the other thing that I think tells you something about AeroStitch is the fact that they're heavily involved in doing repairs. So if you go down and you damage your suit or, or something happens to your riding suit, they've got a full facility, like a whole setup there to handle your repairs. And I think that really says something because sometimes when you buy a jacket from a manufacturer, you want, something goes wrong with it and, and you have to go through, it seems like so much hassle to get something done. There, if you get the catalog from AeroStitch, you'll find that right in the catalog, they talk about doing repairs. They even talk about alterations. So if you get a jacket and you want it to fit a certain way, you want a certain alterations done, they've actually got that listed in their catalog. Great company to deal with. And anytime you're dealing with them, please let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now that's www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And of course, a link to that will be in our show notes. Jenny Morgan is an accomplished motorcyclist. She's tried a, an attempt at the Dakar. She's ridden the Transamerica Trail and she's done all kinds of other trips. She clearly lives to ride. and You can hear the enthusiasm in her voice when we talk. But she's also involved with Rally Raid products. And the interesting thing is she's actually been involved since the very start, since the beginning of the project, even before the bike was chosen for the project. I spoke with Jenny from her home in the United Kingdom. My name is Jenny Morgan. Uh, I'm from the UK and I, uh, I'm a freelance uh, motoring journalist, but I also work for Rally Raid Products in a press and promotions PR capacity. Now, Jenny, we're talking to you because of Rally Raid Products, because we're doing a, this episode on the, on the Rally Raid product for the Honda CB500. You have a, a quite a deep route here in this kit. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the the bike, the Honda, um, very much appealed to me. Uh, even before John and, and Rally Raid as a company decided to to move into this market, I've, my background is in adventure riding. I've also done a number of desert rallies and, and things like that in the past, but but fundamentally long distance solo adventure riding. And I had a succession of motorcycles. Most recently was a, a Yamaha XT660 Tenere, uh, which isn't available in North America. But in 2008, I brought one to the US 
traveled around for six months on it, on the roads, on the trails, took it everywhere, thought it was a fabulous bike. And what I was looking for was effectively a, a slightly more modern or slightly more refined replacement for that machine. And that's what attracted me to the to the CB500 because physically it was a similar size, um, slightly smaller capacity engine, but, but fundamentally it was a twin cylinder engine, very economic and very refined. You have deep riding roots too. I mean, you went into the car for 2009. <laughs> no, sorry, in 2011. Oh, I, entered, I apologize. Uh, no, no um, yeah, I, I started racing, uh, rally raid racing. I said I'd spent maybe 10 years on motorcycles, traveling, adventure riding. I'd been to places like Morocco uh, purely for you know, for pleasure, not not under competition. I, I got into rally raid uh, racing in, in 2008, which is actually where I met John um, just socially uh, from rally raid. This is before he'd actually started the company. Um and then uh, through a succession of, uh, of international rally events in, in North Africa and Europe, I qualified and, and was accepted for the Dakar rally in 2011, uh, where I raced that. Unfortunately, on the fourth day, uh, fourth stage, I crashed very badly just as we'd gone over the Andes and into Chile and um, ended up smashing my leg up very badly and was on crutches for five months after that. So that kind of put paid to racing for a good long while, although subsequently I have still raced in, um, uh, in Europe again and, and most recently in Baja last year. Why the Dakar? I mean, it's, it's notably the, <laughs> the toughest race in the world. You just said you have an adventure riding background and you've done some competitions. What drives you to jump in with both feet? Well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a little bit. I think most people see the Dakar as the as the pinnacle, if you like, of that discipline of motorsport, uh, you know, the adventure riding. And certainly it appeals a lot to adventure riders just as much as it does racers. I mean, these days, of course, the certainly at the factory level, the, the speeds are getting faster and faster, and it does seem to be a, a series of sprint races. But for the privateer rider, of which obviously I was, there's still that sort of you're not battling against the other riders so much as you're battling against against the course and, and to a lesser extent the, the organization as well. They certainly don't make it easy for you. So if you are looking to push yourself to the absolute limit, then the defined period that is the two weeks of the Dakar is, is, is actually a, a very good way to, to concentrate all of your, if you like, adventure riding energy into it. You, know, you have to be self-sufficient. You have to learn to pace yourselves. You have to respect your machine and you have to respect the terrain. And all of those things are, are relevant when you're riding for, for pleasure. But but the Dakar is just something that that, that sort of sort of supersizes all of all of those disciplines. Now you mentioned that the factory riders are getting faster and faster. Of course, that's with everything, isn't it? I mean, now we're seeing people do, and we were talking about this, I, I think, on a, a, sh- a couple of shows ago. But of people doing backflips and doing all this ridiculous stuff, like you know, taking taking things like a motorcycle and making it do things that it was never intended or no one could ever dream that you could do with it. It's bizarre, but but that's almost what we're doing with this, or what you're doing with this CB500X, isn't it? I mean, you're you're taking a bike that was designed for the street and you're going to turn into something else. I don't want to jump into that just yet, but I mean, that's, that's okay. sort of... No, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, I, I think with the, certainly, um, uh, you know, the, the, there is an element of, of that. Um, I mean, we can talk about that 
uh, in more detail later. But fundamentally, yes, clearly the Honda CB500 is a um, a very road biased adventure bike. It's an adventure style bike, and I I don't think anybody who rides one would say otherwise. Although that said, it, it's it's relatively capable as a, as in standard trim as a, a sort of gravel road and and, and dirt road uh, all, all road bike, if you like. Um, but it does have shortcomings. It you know it does have budget suspension. It does have a, a lack of ground clearance, perhaps. It has cast aluminum wheels in the same way as its its sister bikes, the CBF and the CBR 500 also have. So it's not really that appropriate for for really rough, tough off-road riding, but it's a surprisingly good all-rounder. And fundamentally, they've got the basics right. The engine is an absolute peach. It's exceptionally economic. It's got very good ergonomics for for what is ostensibly quite a small bike. It's I would say it's sort of four-fifths or seven-eighths size bike. If you park it next to something like a a BMW 700GS or a V-Strom, you can immediately appreciate how much more compact it is and obviously if you're going to start taking the bike onto the dirt and onto more serious off-road that's really where it, it its benefit lies is that it's more compact and more manageable are you saying compact like as far as the the bulk of the bike or the length of the bike or the whole thing Actually, both. I mean, the nice thing about the uh, the CB500, it has a, a, a relatively short wheelbase. Um, it's 56 inches, whereas most adventure bikes are, are getting close to 60 or even 61, 62 inch wheelbases. So immediately it's much shorter wheelbase, which obviously means it's got a tighter turning circle. It also has a better what they call, you know, ramp breakover angle. If you're into four wheel drives, you know, that's a space under the belly, basically, because the distance between the two wheels are closer together. It's also very narrow between the knees. So they, they've really got the the ergonomics of the bike uh, very very well sorted, uh, I, I felt. The tank has is, is got a, a large fuel capacity, but where it's between the knees, it, it feels, it, you know, the, the tank is hardly any wider than the saddle itself. So it means if you are going to move from sitting to standing, you, you can make that transition quite easily. And the cockpit is, is also very roomy for what is a relatively short wheelbase bike. I, I kind of draw the, a similar an analogy to if you've ever ridden one of the the XT225 Cerros compared to a full-on enduro bike. I mean, I actually have a Cerro. I have one here in the UK and I have one out in the US as well. And it's it's like riding a trials bike in comparison. And so it makes certain terrain much more easily and, and, and it can be a lot more forgiving if you get yourself into a bit of a, into a spot, you know. Sure. It has a, that one in particular I know has a very low first gear. Yeah, well, that's right. And I mean, that's another thing that appealed to, to the Honda. Um, it, it has a very, it's a six-speed gearbox. It has a very broad spread of gears. First is is very, very low. It's fine for, for very technical trail riding. I mean, I've taken one of our bikes, our modified bikes, over all of the slick rock trails in, in Moab. I've taken it through mountain passes in uh, in Colorado, up into Idaho, through Oregon. Um, it, it, it's a very maneuverable bike. You can sort of snick it into first gear, almost ride it like an automatic. It's The fuel injection is very smooth. Uh, as I say, the gearing, there's not such a big jump between each gear. So it's, it's very easy, a very linear power delivery. And all of these things, you know, are important off-road. And, and even more so when you're riding what is a, you know, a 400-pound bike, uh, or 430 pound bike off road, um, you know, you, it's it it, it like I say it's very forgiving. That's the the key I think to to it, and why we felt it was such a good, uh, if you like, donor bike to the project in the first place. 
Well, today we're going to talk about your trip on the Transamerica Trail, but, sure. but but just before we get to that, though, as far as the CB500X, you were there right from the start of doing this thing. Did you just walk down a line of bikes and they say, oh, that one looks like a good one to, to do, or did it always stand out? Was there something about this bike that said, hey, this is, this is not living up to its full potential? Uh, it's funny you say that. Actually, what prompted it was a girlfriend of mine in, in the United States was looking to buy a commuter bike. Um, she has a lovely Moda Guzzi that she felt she was absolutely just killing riding to work every day and was looking for a, a sort of mid-priced, mid-range, uh, fuel-efficient, comfortable bike to ride every day. Um, and I, because I had some time while I was out there, I did effectively go into the dealer and, and kick a few tires. I was aware of the CB500 because there'd been, you know, there'd been some interest with this bike already um, since its launch in 2013. This was the summer of 2014 I was looking at it. So I took, they had a demonstrator available to ride. So I took it out and I was immediately impressed with, with its all-round competence. I mean, yes, it's a budget bike um, from its price point, but actually the things that actually matter to you, the seating position, the seat, the quality of the materials it's made out of, it, it's actually, it's that typical Honda, which, you know, sort of gives you a great deal of confidence. There's a lot of strength and reliability in it. And I suggested to her that she, she maybe bought one of these instead of a, you know, a, a more a phaser or one of these sort of more mundane four cylinder inline four bikes. And she road tested it herself, loved it, um, and ended up buying it. And I was fortunate to, to, to spend a good bit of time on that, uh, in California on some lovely twisty back roads and, um, put a lot of miles on the bike. And every time I rode it, I felt actually, this is the sort of bike I want for myself, but have it coming from an adventure background. I, I would want it to have slightly better, if you like, all-terrain ability than the standard machine had. Well, let's talk about the, the Transamerica Trail. First of all, why, why that? Was it that you did this as, a, as sort of a proving run for this bike uh, to show how good it was going to be and what it could do. Did it take you right to the Transamerican Trail? Was that your first choice or why did you come across that? Yeah, well, back in 2009, once I started rally raiding, I, you know, I didn't want to give up on the, the whole adventure riding thing. And I'd spent three months in the United States a year or two previously, had a taste of the desert southwest, particularly in Arizona and Utah, California. And um, I really wanted to go back there for an extended period. And I, I bought one of these Yamaha XT660s in the UK when they first came out, 2008, shipped it over to the U.S., traveled all around and and obviously back then although that sounds like you know relatively recent history you know the internet was still kind of quite new we didn't have things like facebook and so on yet but i'd known enough i'd heard about this transamerica trail which was effectively this this sort of a series of interconnecting dirt roads and trails that went right the way across the country from the from the east all the way to the west coast um and i i made contact with a few people who had who had done this uh, themselves um, and uh, found out that there was an official, if you like, website that had maps and GPS downloads and things like that. Got in contact with um, Sam from there and and embarked on, on the Trans-America Trail myself. But during that trip, I had to split it into three sections because it was in the fall and, and spring of, of, of 2008, 2009. I had to do the, the middle section in Colorado first, and then I went and did the last part um, to, all the way to the West Coast uh, up until sort of Christmas time, which was miserable. It was very wet up in the Northwest. Uh, and then in the new year, I went right the way across the country 
um, following the Gulf Coast and then back up and then picked up the, the start of the Transam Trail. So it was a sort of mix and match piecemeal trip. But what it proved was this, the, the multi-terrain capability of that bike. And because we used the, the Yamaha as one of our benchmark bikes when developing the specification, to so say I was really looking for a replacement for that bike um, and felt the Honda would you know, would give me more on-road refinement and with the right modifications, not really be any less capable off the road. So, so I felt a similar trip to the, to the one that I'd completed in 2009 would be an excellent real-world proving ground for this new bike. So to put this in context, you rode for 12,500 miles, over 20,000 kilometers, uh-huh. uh, a 52-day solo ride on, this, right. on the Trans-American Trail. Mm-hmm. And when you did this on this bike, did it just completely blow you away? Did, what was your, your overall response? Yeah, well, I was, I was confident it would, it, it would um, you know, it, it would do what I wanted to do. I mean, obviously, I'd spent a lot of time working with Rally Raid over the, 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 the spring of 2015 before I embarked on the trip just you know we did a lot of testing and a lot of development work on the bike getting the suspension really dialed in and certainly it it, it has it sounds like it, it genuinely has transformed the way that the bike rides off-road um I mean any number of people who have ridden both the demonstrators or, or, or bought kits for themselves and own bikes say it feels really does feel like a completely different bike once it's got the taller suspension on it 19 inch front wheel the extra ground clearance it's suddenly it, it it, it makes it into a much more viable all-terrain machine. So I was confident it could handle the Trans Am Trail because obviously people ride all sorts of uh, vehicles on that. Um, but what I also did as part of the – I started on the West Coast up in Oregon at the Giant Loop headquarters. Um, I rode down the, the West Coast and, and the official start was actually San Francisco just because, you know, it's, um, it, it, it was a suitable place to start. And I took it through Death Valley. I took it to Arizona uh, for the Overland Expo. I took it to Moab for a week to ride it on the rocks. I took it through some of the passes in Colorado that still had quite a lot of snow on them. Um, and I even did a 1,000-mile iron butt when I left Colorado and, and, and went all the way um, uh, through Kansas and ended up in just on the edge of Kentucky, uh, Illinois, and then into Kentucky. I uh, did a thousand mile iron butt on it, and and those series of challenges, if you like, on my way east, really did prove to me that this bike could pretty much handle anything I was prepared to to attempt on my own on a two hundred kilogram machine. So once I'd reached the east coast and and turned around to make the return journey on the Trans Am Trail, I, I was pretty confident by then that it, it you know it wouldn't throw up any surprises. So as far as a choice between that and, say, you know, an F800 GS or, or even a KLR 650, what's the comparison there? Is it worth it? Oh, um, I would... Uh, I mean, you're biased, so... No, no, that's unfair question. But, but yeah, I mean, again, those are two bikes. I mean, certainly for the US market, those are exactly uh, North American market. Those are the two, if you like, stalwart in that category. Um, I know people like the V-Strom, but the, the V-Strom really is a, a much more road-biased machine. Um, but certainly the KLR and the F700 BMW were, were, were two bikes that were on our radar, along with the... Um, the Yamaha 660 Tenere, as I say. And so what we what we considered is a specification that really kind of takes the best of all of those bits, um, uh, but, you know, comes up with something, just, just that little bit more, um, more of a precision machine. So, you know, it has the simplicity of something like the KLR, but it, you know, it is, it's a vastly more dynamic machine, shall I say. I've ridden all of those bikes and, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't think there are any bad bikes really, but there are some that are better than others. And and certainly the the, the CB500 is 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 a 21st century bike, not a 20th century bike, if if that's the politest way of putting it. Um, the F700 is is a very nice, refined machine, very popular, um, but it's long and it's low and it's a little ponderous. Um, you know, it, it's nice. I, I quite like the F700, and certainly that was very much the bike we were looking to to pitch this as as an alternative. But but fundamentally, with the CB500. Because it's that little bit physically smaller, it's also smaller engine capacity, uh, it really creates a niche of its own because most people would choose either something, as you say, something like a big uh, one of the 7-800cc BMWs or a KLR for the TAT, or they go the other way and use a sort of 450cc dual sport dirt bike or something like that. But on both sides there are compromises. The dirt bike is, is not nice for the for the long distance and multi-day trips necessarily. Um, and the something like the F eight hundred or the something like a V Strom or KLR is physically a big heavy bike and particularly when you start putting luggage and things on it, uh, it starts to become a liability, particularly if you're traveling on your own. And I was very keen to do this trip solo to prove that that it could be done and that the bike fundamentally flatters you and flatters the solo rider doesn't become a hindrance so we see that the, the cb500 fitting in in between the sort of traditional 450 to 650 dual sport thumper like the dr650 and the xr650 um and something like the the f7 F7, uh the f700 or the or the v-strom you know it, it it takes the best of those two bikes and kind of combines it somewhere in the middle yeah, I mean, the V-Strom's not really suitable for no, doing that. No, I, I, it, it, we laugh. In the UK, the V-Strom is a road bike, pure and simple. It's a commuter bike, and it's a very good one. It has one of the nicest you know, V-twin v midsize engines that, that, that's ever been, that's come out of Japan. But it is not a bike you'd want to take on serious rough terrain, whereas obviously what we've done with the CB500 is made it, you know, a genuinely capable, fast dirt road machine. I mean, I was riding across desert what we call desert pistes in rallying but graded dirt road dirt trails in the nevada desert and um and in oregon and uh and it, it's uh, and utah and it, you can ride this thing along at 50 60 even 70 miles an hour on the dirt um, i mean you have to be mindful that the that the rally rate bike still only has 170 millimeters of travel, so just under seven inches. But what it is, is fundamentally seven inches of very high quality um, suspension. So the, the damping is very good, the control is very good. The components we use were developed in conjunction with a, a company called Tractive in uh, Holland, who also make Touratex high-end suspension for the BMW range and, and, and other bikes. So it's, it's very good quality. And they also make, Tractive also make our own 300 millimeter travel rally shock for the KTM 690. So this is very good quality componentry, and this is really what you're paying for um, when you buy the, the the adventure kit for the for the CB 500. Is you you get a bike that rides like a much more expensive dirt or dual sport bike. Yeah, I've seen. I haven't ridden the bike myself, but I've seen video of it, and I'm a little surprised at watching it jump over things like logs, um, etc., and seeing how it lands. It it lands. <laughs> it goes over. I mean, the front wheel comes up off the ground, you know, two feet, and it lands sure. like it's went over a bump. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we, that's kind of what we, you know, that's our, that's what Rally Raid's heritage is. You know, we design suspension to, you know, to handle extreme conditions. Now, obviously with the CB500, there were limitations. Some people asked us, oh, why doesn't it have a 21 inch front wheel? Why doesn't it have 12 inches of suspension travel like your 690 does? And we'd say, well, well, if it had 12 inches of travel, it would also have a 38 inch seat height. I mean, there's always going to be a compromise with this kind of bike. And we do feel that if you want to go what we would call hardcore then obviously something like a, a 690 or any bike based on a on a dual sport enduro is going to be preferable but obviously you get the the inherent limitations with a bike like that is it, it single cylinder it can be it can be vibey it can be a little bit narrow a bit uncomfortable um and if you're doing a, a genuine long distance trip, and I mean thousands of miles, not just a, a few hundred miles over a over a long weekend camping, well then you do your priorities do do change inevitably, and um, and that's where we thought thought the CB fitted in so well because as I say, physically, although the bike weighs 200 kilos, 430 pounds, it's it's because it's so short because that weight is is very much sort of mass centralized. The weight when you're on the bike, particularly standing on the pegs, all of that weight is directly between your knees so the bike doesn't feel big or cumbersome so it immediately it, it's um you know it lends itself to perhaps more riding over more extreme terrain than you might do on a on a longer wheelbase or a, a more top heavy bike what um if there if any what was a shortcoming you found with it um it, 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 it would be rather trite to say there really wasn't anything but but as I say, it really was the perfect, I felt, perfect bike for that kind of cross-country, all-terrain trip. Um, uh, well, I mean, let, let me, let me, Jenny, let me ask it a different way then. So okay. was, was there any time you were riding that bike where you thought, mm, wow, you know, if I was on a different bike, uh, this would be a lot easier? And I'm not so much thinking, I mean, obviously, if you went to a, a dual sport bike, yes, you know, a 450 mm. or something like that, that's going to be a, a clear advantage. But I mean, were there times where you, maybe, I don't know, you get out on some open stretches and you think it just doesn't quite have it? Or did you find it just all round did it? Yeah, again, it does sound, but it sounds like I'm biased, but it really did. I mean, the bike will sit at 80 miles an hour all day if you wanted to on the freeway. And I did that for a great stretch right the way across uh, uh, Colorado and Kansas and Missouri um, doing the Iron Butt Challenge. And it, you know, it was very, very comfortable. I mean, yes, you can. Um, have a taller windshield, you can have different hangar, you can put all of those things into personalize your bike. But fundamentally, it just got on and did it for, you know, 18 hours straight, a thousand odd miles that I covered in that distance. So it really wasn't lacking as a road bike. And certainly I had one of the best days, I would say, I've, of all my riding um, career uh, in the mountains, of the border between Kentucky and Virginia on some of the twisty mountain back roads there. And, and I mean, that includes, I took my, Duc I had a Ducati Monster that I took to the Swiss Alps a couple of years ago, and that was an, an epic two-week trip. But this really surpassed that. I was, I, I was giggling in my helmet about how this thing would absolutely rail these corners that, you know, the tarmac was a little broken and uneven. Maybe there was a little bit of gravel, but you could really throw the bike around just due to its kind of you know its its compact dimensions and its its general dynamics so it was a wonderful back road scratching bike as well 
And then, of course, on the dirt, um, you know, I mean, I've ridden full-on rally bikes. I've ridden small dual sports, large dual sports. I had an old XR650R that was a, you know, an epic uh, bike for, for ripping across the desert 70 miles an hour on. But I was surprised how well this bike you know, com- compared to something like that. I mean, obviously, the the only time that I was perhaps gritted my teeth was was a couple of times in in northern Utah um, that where I was absolutely winding it up to see how fast it would go on the dirt and. I hit a, a, a washout, maybe you know, on a dirt trail, a, a slight river washout, um, and you'd think, "Oh, this is going to hurt," because I, I was aware I only had seven inches of suspension travel. And yes, it, it, I bottomed it out a few times, but fundamentally, it was always controlled. The suspension kind of soaked it up, and yes, it bottomed out, but it didn't spring me out of the sea or fire me off the trail. It just kind of clunked and then carried on, and and it, it was very forgiving in that regard. And as I say, I think it is testament to what, what John and Rally Raid have been able to engineer. And, and I like to think the specification that we drew up really did create this, um, you know, pretty much perfect all-rounder. Uh, and that, that was the design brief, was to create an, an all-road, all-terrain bike. You know, it's not an out-and-out enduro machine, but what it is is a very competent at every kind of terrain you might, might want to, to ride over. So for the buyer, somebody heading out to buy something new right now, what buyer, uh, what what bracket should be looking at the CB five hundred X? In other words, if if I'm going out to look at a KLR, should I be mm-hmm. really seriously considering, or, or or are those the type of buyers that it's um, set up for? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting that primarily when we develop the kit. Um, and certainly, as I say, part of our, our development process was getting feedback from existing owners to, to what they felt were the shortcomings for the bike. And, and fundamentally, it was the quality of the OEM suspension and the fact that it had limited ground clearance and, 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 and a small 17-inch cast aluminum front wheel and so on. So those are the things that we addressed. Um, I mean, the nice thing about this bike, it's a $6,000 bike in the United States. You know, it's not expensive. I, I believe it's 6500 actually uh if you the the suggested retail price but typically it's not an expensive bike at all um but you know we we presume that the people buying our kit would be existing owners or or po- you know possibly would buy a second hand bike to convert into their you know personalized into their own uh, sort of adventure bike but increasingly we, we've had people buying brand new bikes i mean just this in this in the last 6 weeks we've sold four brand new bikes that were bought and converted in the United Kingdom. A couple bought two uh, leftover 2015 models, which I just had a hand in building last week. And uh, we've just, uh, another two customers have just bought two 2016 bikes specifically to have converted. And they won't even turn a wheel before they've been converted into um, into the Rally Raid Adventure version. And I think that's that's kind of testament to the fact that because the bike starts off at a relatively affordable price point, you can afford to spend, you know, it's not an insignificant amount of money for the kit on this. Um, but, you know, if you're going to spend money on on a bike and, and create something that genuinely fulfills your need, you know, I personally, I would always want to put a quality product on the bike. And that's very much the ethos that Valley Raid have. You know, what you're getting for your money is a genuine significant improvement over um, specification and and just the general quality of the bike. What does that do for warranty when someone buys a brand new bike? 
Right. Well, this is a question that we have. That I mean, obviously, if you buy a brand new bike, the, it is warrantied from from Honda. Um, I mean, fundamentally, the two main areas for warranty claims are are the electrics and the engine, and neither of those things do Rally Raid touch at all. As far as we're concerned, those are bulletproof, and and that's one of the key attractions of. of building the bike around the, the Honda CB500 is its, you know, its reputation for, for stone cold reliability the whole time. So all we're changing is effectively the, the wheels and the suspension, the shock and the, the internal parts. Now, as far as the warranty is concerned, a number of dealers have spoken about this. Um, you know, uh, unless the uh, the parts we've fitted can be proved to have caused the problem, any warranty claim has to be accepted by the by the dealer. Um, so it's 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 really not an issue. You're effectively replacing like for like uh, components. It's not that you're having to cut anything, weld anything, uh, drill anything, uh, or modify the bike in any way from its original um, specification to have our parts fitted. And that's very much Rally Raid's ethos as well. We sh- you shouldn't have to cut or drill or, or weld anything to the bike to, to convert it. No, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Jenny. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with Jenny Morgan from Rally Raid Products from her home in the UK. Well, stay with us because we've got a lot more coming up. We're going to go right to the source in just a few minutes. We're going to speak with a fellow named John Mitchinson, who is the owner of Rally Raid Products in the UK. But before we go over to speak to John, I want to talk to you for a minute about Giant Loop. Giant Loop, as you know, who we're just sort of talking about on this episode, at least the fact that they're distributing the Rally Raid products for the CB500X. Giant Loop makes amazing bags. They really do. They may, if you want a waterproof, tough bag, you want to go light, go far, go fast, Giant Loop is your company to deal with. And if you go to their website, www.giantloop.com, and you decide to buy something, make sure you use the offer code or the promo code ARR. And of course, that lets them know you heard them here from Adventure Rider Radio. That will get you free shipping in the US. So drop on by Giant Loop. Oh, by the way, they got a couple of great products out that I, I wanted to mention here on the show two products I wanted to mention. One was the one I mentioned last week with the Round the World Panniers, a great looking set of luggage for you if you're doing a lot of camping and have a lot of gear. The other one was the the gas bag. They've got this brand new fuel bladder out, which I love the concept of because it's a soft bag that's meant to hold fuel inside. Now, if you're running a motorcycle with a smaller tank and, and like really, I guess, unless you're one of those people with a KLR or something with an aftermarket tank or maybe a GS, you're probably going to be looking for extra fuel at some time. And if you are, this a great way to do it because you roll the bag up, stuff it in your pannier when you're not using it or anywhere on the bike. And then as soon as you are in an area where you need extra fuel, you just unroll it. I mean, it takes up no space. So you fill it up with fuel and away you go. You've got it. It's in a bag. It's got all kinds of loops stitched to it um, so you can fasten it on your bike, but really great looking setup. So drop by their website and check that out. Giantloopmoto.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with Giant Loop, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, now heading right to the source of what we've been talking about today, converting the Honda CB500X 
using the Rally Raid Products Kit. Well, we're going to talk with John Mitchison, the owner of Rally Raid Products in the UK. And Rally Raid has actually been making parts for other motorcycles, mainly KTMs, I think, up until recently when they've made this kit for the Honda. This kit has driven sales absolutely through the roof. As you heard me talking with Harold Cecil from Giant Loop, they can't keep the kits on the shelves in the United States. As a matter of fact, John Mitchison in the UK manufacturing these parts in his machine shop, they can't keep up with demand. So they're having to increase their machinery, etc., to trying to keep up with the demand just for this one kit. So here is John Mitchison from the Rally Raid Products Machine Shop in the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm John Mitchinson. I'm the owner at Rally Raid Products with uh, Liz Mitchinson, my wife, and I'm from Rushton in the UK here. So what is Rally Raid Products? Um, we're an engineering company that started it, a business in the UK um, some five years ago, and um, it was started really as a as a race um, setup where we 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 rallied our bikes mainly in North Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, and that's how it all started. Just developing parts for ourselves and friends, and we must have obviously made a good job of it because it got on the internet and then we had loads of people say look you know these rally bikes you're building the conversions could you turn them into adventure bikes for us because that's just what we need we need more fuel we need stronger chassis stronger suspension um so what started off as a rally race um business has now turned sort of nearly full circle so we're now probably 90 percent adventure and only 10 percent race See, I was saying to Jenny, I love that, that the business is really born from producing something and finding that all kinds of people want it because businesses are usually the other way around. You know, usually we come up with a product and we design our product and we shove it out there and wait for people to buy it and sort of try and market it. But yours is driven from the ground up. Yeah, we we sort of tend to look at a bike and if we like the bike, you know, we'll rate that. Well, this is how it started. You know, we would choose a bike to race and and generally there was nothing off the shelf, you know, so you would have to choose the nearest to what you could find. And then we would just develop it and look at any weak points and try and improve them and uh, look at any problems that the bike had, reliability, and again, try and improve it or minimize it. Um, so it, that I think the race inside has stood us in good stead for the adventure because we can probably come at it at, at a li- little bit different angle than, than other companies. You know, we can, um, just get a hold of a bike and very quickly start tearing it apart and, you know, develop. And, and plus we also, even with the adventure bikes, we still like to take them to Morocco and Tunisia and Australia and Jenny took the bike to America and we really try and put them through their paces, you know, because um, the, the harder you ride them, the usually the quicker the faults show up. Well, what were you doing before you started this, before you started Rally Raid Products? Uh, I've still got a, an injection moulding business, so we do plastic injection moulding. Um, I've done that for 25 years as my own business and, and engineering. Um, and I've always, since I started racing, you know, 25 years ago, I've always developed and made one-off parts for my own motorbikes. Um, and then sort of five or six years ago, we started doing the rallies and it really developed from there. We just every time you go to a race people would be interested in what you'd made and could you make something for them and it, it sort of snowballed from there 
Well, of course, today what we want to talk about was the Honda CB500X and the conversion kit that you make for it. But um, before we get into that, what other kits do you make? Are there more than that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we really started off with the KTM uh, range because they're, they're, they are mainly the most popular uh, rally and enduro bike. So we started off with the the 525 KTM and we um, manufactured parts for that. Then we got on to the 690s and that's really when they took, the business did take off because we we made extra fuel tanks and an adventure fairing, which started off again as a rally kit. But within a few months, we were, you know, selling more adventure kits than rally kits. And, and that's really where the business took off. And um, we just sort of progressed from there. Yeah. And like you said, now the shop is running sort of full tilt right now because you can't keep up the demand. No, it's, uh, it's great, really, in one sense that, um, you know, people are obviously think what we're doing is 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 right for the market because um you know pretty much everything's on a waiting list at the moment but, and, and it's trying to keep everybody happy but uh and and of course the other thing is you, you're always trying to develop new products alongside of it so you on the one hand you you know you've got the production people want the machinery for production during the day and it, at the moment we're tr- having to you know just get the machines at the weekend to do any development work because they're just flat out in the week um you know doing production work so you you got the ktm 690 kit going well it was obviously a success and then you were looking for another bike were you you hadn't really decided i mean i know that jenny had said that the reason the the honda cb 500x sort of came up on the radar is because her friend um had bought one i guess is that's where sort of where it came from yeah we'd um we'd just come back from a rally actually and uh I mean, I've known Jenny for for years, and again, I met her on a rally just in Morocco. You know, just bumped into her, and we just hit it off. And uh, I don't know, that was probably seven or eight years ago. But um, you know, we've always kept in touch. And we got back from a rally, and and Jenny just said, "Look, I had a go on one of these CB five hundreds. You know, and you really ought to look at one." And, and at the time, all I could remember was the old Honda CB five hundred from the eighties, and I said, "No, nah, that's not really." <laughs> not really our thing really you know I don't, I don't, it's not not where i want to be and she we just kept pestering me about it and in the end i said look i'll go and borrow one for the weekend and um i, the, I just rode it home by the time i got back home i just thought this this bike is so underrated you know and straight away you know jenny came around and we sort of started working on it so what is it about the, the CB500X that's underrated in your mind? It's underrated in a lot, a lot of ways, really. It's, it's, it's very neutral, which, you know, some people would say is a bad thing. It's, it's, it does nothing outstanding, but it does pretty much everything quite well. So, you know, as soon as I started riding the bike, you thought this is a really good platform to build on because it's, it's a reliable engine. It's very economical. It's got a quite a low centre of gravity. It's got a very low seat height, and it's a Honda, so you know it's going to go run for years and years. You know, but you got to have a bit of imagination, though. I bet riding it and you know, sort of thinking what can be done with this thing to make it really spectacular. Oh, definitely, yeah. You've uh, you've you've got to sort of see past the, I wouldn't say the shortfalls, but the limitations of the bike. You know, you've got to think. Right, you know, this bike could be really good if it had. And then you have to start thinking, well, what 
what could you do to it? You know, and the first thing really was the wheels and tyres because they're pretty much street orientated. So we thought, well, you know, we'll look at doing spoked wheels and get rid of the cast alloy wheels. And 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 then it progressed onto suspension. And then once we'd worked out that was possible, because right, right from the start, we were never sure that the bike would be um, feasible as a, as a project until we could pretty much nail the fact that we could get um, spoked wheels and suspension to work within the the sort of um, fabric of the machine. You know, we didn't want to have to say to people that, that, you know, if you want to fit spoked wheels and suspension, you've got to start having a new swinging arm or new triple clamps. You know, we wanted to try and retain most of the bike. and, and on the race bikes we've done before the KTM's, that's it's always been very easy to modify suspension um, and chassis because the the race bikes are, are developed that way. Whereas the Honda, because it's 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 the the, the main platform of the CB500X is shared between three bikes, so there's always a lot of compromise in the design. Um, but we, we got there, you know, within a month we've got a pretty good working um model um and and after that it was just continual you know development for probably six months to get to the stage where we had a bike that was rideable uh that we could test you know and um from there on it was just a case of putting parts into production is the difference though between the KTM stuff that you did before, they, like you, you'd mentioned, you know, they're already set up for um, for racing, really. I mean, that's the, you know the whole KTM slogan. Um, so you're taking a bike that's sort of already set up there and, and modifying it to make it perform better. But this is like a complete change. You're taking a city bike and you're making it into an adventure bike. That's right. Yeah, the KTM bikes are very much designed to to race out the crate. So what you're doing mainly with them is fine-tuning them and or personalizing them for 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 for, for people's um use so some people you know if they're doing a rally they'd want a certain setup if they're doing a, a, a an enduro they'd have a different setup but but it's all based around the same sort of um frame and and suspension and wheels whereas the honda because it had a more street biased um it was a bit more difficult to to try and come up with a combination of wheels and suspension that would work within that um, frame. Um, but we but we soon found that the that the good thing about the Honda was it, it was very overbuilt. You know, it was it was very very strong. You know, as soon as we started stripping the bike down, you thought, you know, it's not a lightweight bike, but it's actually really well built. Is that, so typ- that- is that typical Honda? um sometimes yeah it just depends i think it just depends probably where they tend to want it in the marketplace the good thing is because it's a a platform that's shared between three models you tend to find they over engineer it because they're trying to cover as many bases as possible so you know they want a bike that's solid for the street they want a bike that's probably got lots of uh capacity to carry load on the back which is good for adventure riding so they would tend to put a steel frame whereas a lot of the other bikes they'd probably put an aluminium subframe to save weight but the problem is then with aluminium you know you're limited to what you can hang off it as regards luggage and panniers Um, and it's also more difficult to weld if you do 
break anything in the field. You know, if you've got a steel subframe, you can always find a guy in the middle of nowhere with a stick welder. But if you've got an aluminium subframe, you know, you've really got problems trying to find somebody that can weld that in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, the Honda, the more we looked at it, the better it got, really. You know, it was it it, 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 it is one of those bikes that just grows on you. You know, you, you you start off thinking, well, I don't know, it's it's a bit of an odd one, this, but actually, the more you ride it and the the more you have it in the workshop, you you can see there's uh, a lot of features there that sort of very help it quite a lot with the um, adventure setup. What is Honda marketed as with the X? Um, they market it as an adventure bike, but it, it is very much a marketing thing in that sense it, it 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 it's more of a nod towards adventure rather than an actual adventure bike mm-hmm. because it, it the main problem is it's it's got cast alloy wheels and tubeless tires so straight away you're limited to what sort of um rubber you can put on it that would cope with mud or gravel yeah it's sort of like know. the v-strom isn't it yeah it's very similar to a v-strom yeah very similar yeah in fact that's probably its nearest competitor you would say you know Right, so that, uh, my next question was going to be, well, so why not the V-Strom? What, what, what made you look at the V-Strom and go, no, because that had to be a contender um, right off the bat? Yeah, the, I mean, we did spend a lot of time initially once Jenny bought the CB over. We did sort of look around at the competition to say, well, where would it be in the marketplace if we did a kit for it? Because we didn't, obviously we didn't want to go and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars developing a kit and then finding out there's no market for it. But we, we looked at the V-Strom and, and although it's a very capable bike, um, we didn't think it suited what we wanted to do. It was a little bit big for what, for what we thought would be the size of bike we wanted to, to be with. Um, also, there was quite a few people that were doing parts for it as well. Um, and, and being a small company, we have to sort of tend to work in niche markets. You know, we can't compete with the Toratex and those big companies because, um, you know, they have much more develop, bigger development budgets. Um, so we have to sort of pick a market that's quite niche. And, and, and the V-Strom, although it is a fairly niche bike, there was already people doing parts for that. Um, we did look at the F700 BMW, which is, a, again, is a, you would say, a, 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 a fair competitor to the CB500 with our kit on. But again, there's quite a few people doing parts for that as well. Yeah, and the F700, I mean, that would be a, a, a perfect one for it because it's coming with the same engine, just a detuned engine as the F800. Um, and I'm sure the, the chassis is probably the same. Yeah, but the, the the problem with the F700 as against the CB is the CB is so nimble. You know, it's it's something like four inches shorter on length and it really does turn on a sixpence, you know, whereas the, the, the F700 is much longer. It's, it's, it's a great bike, but if you get it on twisty, you know, tight trails, it, it really is a handful. Um, it's not so easy to turn. What's the trade-off, though, as you go shorter? Well, um, I'm talking wheelbase gen- here. Generally, especially with the race bikes over the years, you know, you try and keep them as short as possible to make them more agile, but generally then at high speed, you would find they're very nervous. They'd soon break into a bit of a tango, you know, and you you then have to compensate by probably putting more weight onto the front wheel. To st- and, and But then again, that, that K 
counteract the nimbleness so it's always a balancing act but the honda does seem to have sort of hit the magic part part where you you've got that shortness of chassis but you don't get any unstableness you know i was quite surprised so um, do you alter the length on the honda not at all no no we actually um for our level three kit we just go to a 19 inch spoked wheel instead of a 17 inch wheel um and, and if anything that lifts it does lift the front end up but which would normally make the bike more twitchy and unstable but to counteract that we lift the back of the bike the same amount two inches so it balances it back out again so let's run through the the different stages. I know you've got the three stages that you can do. So you 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 go out, you buy maybe a used Honda CB500X, and we're looking at this. What does stage one do for us, and what's involved? And by the way, I I want you to also um, point out that all these all these kits are they're install kits, aren't they? Do it yourself or stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean we've we've built four complete brand new bikes in the last month for customers here in the UK. But then we've also built a second-hand bike for a customer. You know, the guy didn't want a brand-new bike, and he, he just said, look, I bought one second-hand. It's a year old. Would you fit a kit? Which we did. But a lot of people, you know, I'd say more people fit their own kits than, than anything. You know, some, some get a local dealer to fit it. But I think a lot of the interest with the, the adventure riding community is they like to spend their winter, you know, looking at what they want to buy for the bike and then getting it in the workshop and fitting it and talking on the internet to people who have got similar bikes and see how they've um, found a solution to this problem probably a different way but it's a it's the same the same outcome you know that's the i think that's the interesting thing about the adventure market there's people are prepared to try lots of different ways to to, to come up with a solution and that's part of making it your bike, isn't it? So it's not just another bike that you see the same as everybody else's. You, everybody gets to customize with their farkles and things like that to make it their own special bike. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, and that's the good thing. You can purchase all the, the parts singly. So, you know, we've got some sort of very odd combinations that people sometimes have. You know, you get um, people that are predominantly going to ride the bike more off-road than on-road so they would probably have the level three kit with the the uprated suspension the higher tr- ground clearance um probably they'd go for you know uh, uh, the, the 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 more performance aftermarket silencer um but then you've got the other people that are quite happy with the the bike the height it is and actually one of the attractions to to a lot of people is the low seat height so they don't want to lose that so they just go for the level one suspension kit which again is it's the same ride height but you get a much plusher um, suspension than than the oem fitted part so you we've got new fork internals new fork springs and a new rear shock so that does make the bike the bike ride much nicer on the road and off the road and then you you can just fit the uh, level one spoked wheels again to retain the the low seat height because we're finding a lot of people are actually attracted to the CB in standard format mainly for that reason because it is so easy to handle at low speed on the trail because it, because it's got a low seat height and a fairly low center of gravity you know you've got both feet flat on the floor which when you've got a bit of luggage hanging off the back of the bike and you're on a bit of a gnarly trail that's always a big advantage than being tippy toe everywhere 
Sure, yeah. L- let's look at the kits then. So level one, two, three. Let's just run through what each kit has um, and the changes that are made. And, and just before we do, do, does the exhaust change on all of them? No, they're all designed to work with the stock exhaust if, if you want to. All stock exhaust. Okay, so do-it-yourself kits. So let's look at level one. What do you do with level one? Level one, um, we offer the, the new fork internals, um, new rear shock, and uh, spoked wheels front and rear for that. We, 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 as part of the kit, we don't sell our engine guard as part of the kit, but we recommend it because um, when the bike comes standard, it's got a plastic belly pan that as well as not offering any protection really, it's also not flat underneath. So it's pretty much impossible to jack the bike up. So the first thing to do is if you put our tubular framed um, engine guard on, it's got a really good solid base at the bottom, which is designed to protect from rocks and impact, but also it makes a very good base to uh, jack the bike up on so that you can take the wheels and suspension out. And what kind of bike do you end up with a level one? Is is it going to be a full-on adventure bike at that point? Um, it can be. I mean, we've we've already got, we've just built a level one for a couple and, um, you know, they're going to ride from the UK right down to Cape Town through all through Africa. They're going to ship the bikes to South America and then ride up through South America, North America. And when one of the attractions was they wanted the level, <coughs> or the lady wanted the level one bike because... She wanted to retain that, you know, the low seat height and the fact that it, you know, you can get both feet on the ground. So the fact that they've got to, they knew they'd got to carry quite a bit of luggage because they're going to be, you know, looking after themselves. Um, she didn't want to lose the, the 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 sort of manageability of the bike. So the level one was the ideal uh, solution for them that you retain the, the, the easy manageability, the low seat height, but you get the much better performance suspension. So if you do start getting onto rocky, gnarly tracks, you know, the bike's um, going to perform much nicer and, you know, not throw you out so much. So now if we step it up to level two, what changes? Right, level two, um, we go for another two-inch travel front and rear, which gives you a corresponding two-inch ground clearance which really does help if you're on, you know, the, the rougher trails and the rockier trails, or if you come across any fallen logs in the track, you, it's level two is much easier to lift the wheel up and get over that sort of thing. And um, it, it, they're just a better perform. It's because you've got the extra travel on the rear shock, we use a remote um, reservoir on that, so that pretty much doubles the oil capacity of the shock. So it makes it much more resistant to fade and higher temperatures. And then if we move up to level three? Level three, that's the sort of full-on one. That's got all the level two suspension that we've just talked about. And you've got a billet top triple clamp. So um, what that does, it just gives you the choice of handlebar position and also type of handlebar because we can then change to a, a, a fat bar type and then you get the spoked wheels front and rear so that gives you the 19 inch front wheel still got the stock 17 inch size on the back but the main reason we went to the 19 inch front wheel was to um, make it track much better over rough ground because obviously a bigger front wheel rides much nicer over potholes than a smaller wheel and going to a 19-inch front wheel meant we'd got a much better choice of off-road tyres as well compared to the 17-inch, 
we did think about going to a 21 inch front wheel which is pretty normal on off-road bikes but we were limited by the um, travel of the fork we found you know for us to go up to a 21 inch front wheel we would have had to lifted the front end another two inches which would have made the bike um, the seat height on the bike anyway um, prohibitive for most riders then Oh, I see. I was going to ask about the 21-inch front. Well, what's different on a bike that has a 21-inch front wheel and lots of travel? Is it just a taller bike, or is there a change in the, the fork and, and triple clamp setup? Um, generally, most of the bikes that have got, if you look at most 21-inch wheeled bikes, they tend to be enduro-based bikes, you know, like the KLR, the KTMs, DR650s. They all tend to be an enduro-based chassis, which... And, and usually then you get a, a correspondingly much higher seat height. And we could have put a 21-inch front wheel in, but it would have meant going to a much longer fork. And then correspondingly, we'd have had to jack the back end up by the same amount. And the whole bike then was getting much too high. Um, we thought it was going away from the the actual attraction of the bike itself you know we, we we would have probably put more people off than we would have attracted because of the seat height yeah yeah right. and it also not not only your seat height you know you, you you rate every time you lift the bike two inches you're not only lifting the seat two inches you're lifting the whole center of gravity two inches changing the whole characteristics of the, yeah. of the bike like you're saying that that yeah. made it attractive yeah, and, and, and that, that is, you know, we want to keep that attractiveness of the bike because it's that is its main plus point to me, that it is just so nimble and it's so neutral to ride. You know, pretty much anybody can get on it and just think, you know, after 10 minutes, well, this is really easy to handle. You know, it's not got any real vices at all. You know, it does it does everything, you know, quite nicely. And at first listen to this, you might think, well, you know, why wouldn't I just go for a bike with more travel? But in my mind, it must come down to quality. Now, I haven't ridden your bike, John, or your conversion kit, but I did see it on video and I was blown away. I see the guy jumping over a log and doing different things. It lands beautifully. And it's not, uh, it's not as much travel as a, a bike that I've seen jump over things like that and just pound down. Yeah, um, we work very closely with Tractive Suspension in Holland, who we we sort of got in touch originally with our race Dakar bikes and they were very keen to sort of get into the adventure market with us so we've pretty much run alongside each other and, and they're very good at developing plush suspension I mean the thing is with a race bike you know suspension is everything and um, but with a race bike, you don't really have to compromise. You're just looking for generally for, for maximum travel. And if it's if it's a little bit harsh, you, you put up with that for the fact that it's not going to bottom out over these massive jumps. Whereas with an adventure bike, you, you're trying to find the holy grail of being a very softly sprung, softly damp bike, but not bottoming out on, on, on the faster trails and Tractive have come up with a really good um, solution to that. We we run a special shock on the Honda that we've developed and and most of the work has gone into the damping to come up with a really good PDS system. So it's a twin piston shock. So the idea is you can set it up quite plushly for the smoother slow speed bumps that you encounter and on the street. But then if you do come to any washouts or high speed 
um, parts of the course or of the track that the second piston kicks in and that really decelerates the bike very um, very uniformly you know there's no harsh juddering and it's 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 there it's a new unique system that they've got for their company and it works really well on adventure bikes it's something initially they developed for the rally bikes but we've sort of fine-tuned it and modified it and it works just as equally as well now with much heavier adventure bikes that tend to be loaded with um with luggage and that low and high speed adjustments there are adjustments you can make on the fly um you have to stop the bike to to, to adjust them but yeah it's their adjustments that you can make you know on the bike the the shock comes with its own little tool that you keep under the seat so if you want to change your high speed or low speed damping it's, it's just a couple of clicks on the on the shock um and i was over that i was over in holland at the weekend attractive so we're just working on a a remote hydraulic preload adjuster for the honda next so it means that riders can adjust their preload depending whether they've got a passenger or luggage remotely so they don't have to take any tools out the pack they can just reach down turn a knob and it'll use a hydraulic ring to put more or less preload onto the rear shock it's a little bit counterintuitive when you talk about developing the shock so that it's it's plush at the start and then firm and and controlled as you go at higher speeds. It seems like you're you're sort of reaching for the unattainable. That those two things seem to be a bit of an oxymoron to one another. Yeah, that's that like I said that is the holy grail of suspension is to get a shock that will work well at low speed and well at high speed. And and once we we did that, we then st- turned our attention to the forks because it was very easy to to get more stroke on the fork which we did ourselves but we we still couldn't get the fork to really operate anywhere near the level of sophistication that the rear end would with the new shock so again we we went back to tractive and said look you know this is a really simple fork um you know is there anything we can do and They've got a dyno that they dyno all their shocks on, so they modified it to put the fork off the Honda in there. Um, and we just played around with loads of settings, and we um, we tried different um, sort of setups in the fork, but we just couldn't get the damping right. We could get the spring. We tried loads of different springs and loads of different size holes in the damping rod but we just couldn't get the plushness we could either get the low speed or the high speed but not the both and then uh, we just had this crazy idea to take you know a piston out of the shock and modify it and put it into the fork you know and it was my idea and they just thought i was crazy i said well look we know it works in the shock let's make a modified version and uh, so i came home and i designed it and 3D printed it in plastic here in the workshop and we we 3D printed the new piston and built it up and sent it back to Holland and they rang back the next day and they said you're never going to believe it it really works (laughs) they didn't think it would but they said it actually works they said yeah we've got high and low speed damping now they said you can see it on the the readout from the computer so once we knew the principle worked then it was just a case of, you know, machining actually metal parts then and just tweaking the shim stacks, tweaking the springs to come up with a, a nice overlap. So it balanced out with the, the 
the performance of the rear shock. And that hasn't been done before, obviously. No, no, no. It's just they were they were actually they laughed when I told them what I'd done. I said I, you know, just took something out of a shock and I'm trying to fit it into a fork and. It, they they just thought it was crazy, but they were quite surprised when they rang up. They said it actually does work, you know. So, um, but what's good about it is the, the how we've done it. It can transfer now that 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 principle we can transfer into any um, conventional fork now. Which a lot of the retro bikes that are coming out, you know, they're going back to a conventional fork. It's something that we could. Um, use you know in the future on a, on a, on any conventional fork. So, you know, once we've we we sort of nearly come into the end of the development of the CB five hundred, and the next thing we're going to be looking at is the seven hundred and seven fifty, or the NC seven hundred and seven fifty, because we've done obviously done an, such a nice job with the five hundred. We've got seven fifty owners emailing us now saying you know they want they want the look and they want the better suspension for their seven fifty. So that's the next thing is to get a 750 in the shop and you know we know the shop we know we can do the rear shop that's pretty straightforward but the the front fork because the 750 is so similar to the 500 we're pretty sure we can um, use the solution that we've got on the 500 and just scale it up a bit for the 750. I also think it's pretty amazing that you used a, a 3D printer. <laughs> I mean, you hear of these things, they're all, they're sort of brand new still. You hear of these things coming out, but you're actually doing it to make prototypes. Yeah, we use it. I mean, I actually bought it from uh, Chris Vestal at uh, Motorminded in the States. He's one of our suppliers. And I sort of met him through the rallying, really. Um, and he's, he does a lot of 3D printing and... Um, you know, it was him that sort of kicked the idea off in my head. So we bought a machine off him and we pretty much 3D print everything now before we put it into production. We we 3D print triple clamps, you know, brake levers, anything wow. really. That's because it saves such a lot of time, you know, before because if you have to commit to a metal sample, you know, that can take days to manufacture, um, to machine it on a four axis milling machine. The amount of programming and making special jaws for vices, whereas, you know, we can 3D print a triple clamp in probably two hours, you know, and it's, it's I know it's only plastic, but it's still strong enough to put on the bike and be, put the handlebars back on, and then you can sit on the bike, and even just rock, you know, we've ridden the bike just very gently up and down the road, you know, on the house, and it gives you an idea of the changes that you've made to the design and how it affects the handlebar position and and, and the controls, you know, so it's 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 something we use pretty much every week. We're making parts on the three D printer. Wow, that's amazing! So it also frees up creativity, I guess. Any, anything you can imagine, you just oh, I'll give it a go. Oh and... yeah, what's what's not to try? You know, it's yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's what I did. I just thought when I thought about the fork, the fork internals, I thought they're going to be real difficult to machine, and then I just thought, well, I'll three D print it. You know, and an hour later, you've got the part. God, that's just amazing. Yeah. But you're also you're designing it obviously on the computer using a, some sort of software program to design this all. You you know how to do all of that, and then you're just saying print. Yeah, I mean that's what I was trained as. You know, uh, initially as um, from engineering, I've always done CAD design. Well, before CAD, you know, we used to design on on a drawing board, um, but now it's all done on CAD and it's three um, D modeled. 
a lot of surfacing work and then we've got a special software package where we can translate the 3D drawings very quickly into um, CNC programs to, to machine on the uh, milling machine that we've got. Wow, absolutely incredible. That that just sounds amazing. So you've maxed out on production for this one. You're already looking at the NC700 and, and 750. Things are going to really ramp up from here, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's it's really quite a sideways step for us. It's a bit of a new venture because we've always been very much um, race-orientated and, and KTM-orientated, much more, I would say, um, off-road biased. But... You know, the Honda for us is a much more mainstream model. And um, I think, you know, it's been it's been really good to learn a lot of new things with the Honda um, because we're dealing with a different type of customer that's probably coming from a more street-orientated background. Um, and it's been great to sort of work on the bike and... We get people sending us ideas every week. You know, have you have you thought about doing this? And we've just done a, we've just uh, developed a remote switch for the handlebar, so people can turn the ABS on and off on the fly, so that if they're on the road and they come to a bit of off road, you can just turn the ABS off from a button on the handlebar, so that you know you're back to conventional brakes for off road. So if you want to lock the rear wheel up going into a corner to make it turn a bit tighter, you can. And then you come back out on the road and just another flick and it's back on again. Um, so a lot of a lot of our products are sort of customer driven. You know, we 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 get a a lot of emails just have you tried this or have you thought about that? And so, you know, some of them are they're either too crazy to do or you, you think well it's a good idea but it would never be commercially viable. But but a lot of them you you can see the the logic in their question. You know. So do you think when somebody's looking for some sort of adventure bike, and I think this feels a niche that is definitely vacant, and I see a lot of people looking towards the smaller bikes for adventure bikes, smaller in cubic uh, uh, centimeters, but smaller all around, it seems, that people are looking towards because you get sick of picking up a large bike. But if someone's looking for a, a new bike, do you think they'll do better with something like this than buying one of your full-on adventure bikes? And maybe that's a loaded question. Um, I think it it really depends on on what they intend to do. I mean, like I say, we've just built two bikes for a couple um, that are going to pretty much ride around the world. And they're, they're intending to do as much off-road as possible. And for them, a, a big, you know, 1,000cc, 260 kilo, probably 300 with all the gear on it, is just not, um, it's not possible. You know, they need a bike that, is very economical because you know fuel is going to be a bit sparse in places it's got to be light enough that either of them can pick the bike up on their own and it's also you know got to be economical on on parts and the problem the problem is with the bigger bikes you know you you can rip through tires in no time at all whereas the honda you know, okay, it's got less power, but actually, that's a good thing. If if you're not in a, you know, if you don't want to go everywhere at 100 mile an hour, you know, and and you're looking for economical travel, then you know the the, the lesser power is actually much more relaxing to ride off road, and it's less likely to get you into trouble, 
and it's going to make things last longer tires chains sprockets everything's going to last clutches you know it's it's all going to last longer and if if you genuinely are traveling solo or just two of you or even three people you know you you want bikes that are easy to manage that are not going to put you under stress john it's been great talking to you and thanks very much for coming on to adventure rider radio and telling us about your uh, your rally raid products thank you bye that was John Mitchison, owner and chief designer at Rally Raid Products. You can find out more about them by visiting rally-raidproducts.co.uk. And I hope this gave you an insight into maybe an alternative for a midweight adventure bike that doesn't exist right now. What you end up with here is you end up with a bike that has an incredible chassis and engine, the Honda Reliability, and then you've got this amazing suspension package after that. So maybe it's something to consider if you were looking at a KLR or maybe a V-Strom or something and you're thinking, Maybe you want to step it up a little bit and look for something more adventurous. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA. And get this, it has a lifetime warranty. It's the same pump that we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our advertisers, Max BMW, Best Rest Products, Aerostitch, and Giant Loop. They're the ones that support the show, so make sure when you're talking with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Also, a special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin. You can drop by our website. You can download all our episodes for free. And I also urge you to drop by the website and look at the Raw Show. If you haven't heard it already, it's another show completely separate. We do. You have to subscribe to it separately. It's called ARR Raw, and it's roundtable discussions with adventure travelers. Great stuff. We have regular co-hosts there like Grant Johnson, Graham Field, Sam Manicom, Shirley Hardy Ricks, and Brian Ricks. And we often have a guest on as well. Things have been really picking up with that, and the show has been well-received. So drop by and check it out. Now, if you like what we're doing and you want to keep the show coming to you for free and help us expand the show as well, drop by our website and click on the donation button. Send us what you can. Anything over $10 is going to get you a gift sent back in the mail. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week. Hi, I'm Ed March, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 